You're listening to the Songs of Jesus sermon series at Sojourn Church Midtown. This series explores the power of singing the stories of Jesus. We'll see how these songs are rooted in the promises of God, speak to our deepest longings, and equip us to bring all we are to Him. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to the rebellious children. This is the Lord's declaration. They carry out a plan, but not mine. They make an alliance, but against my will, piling sin on top of sin. Without asking my advice, they set out to go down to Egypt in order to seek shelter under Pharaoh's protection and take refuge in Egypt's shadow. But Pharaoh's protection will become your shame, and refuge in Egypt's shadow, your humiliation. This iniquity of yours will be like a crumbling gap, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come in an instant, suddenly. Its collapse will be like the shattering of a potter's jar crushed to pieces so that not even a fragment of pottery will be found among its shattered shattered remains. No fragment large enough to take fire from a hearth or scoop water from a cistern. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence, but you are not willing. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. For people will live on in Zion in Jerusalem. You will never weep again. He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. The Lord will give your eyes, sorry, the Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression, but your teacher will not hide any longer. Your eyes will see your teacher, and whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your silver-plated idols and your gold-plated images. You will throw them away like menstrual cloths and call them filth. Then he will send rain for your seed that you have sown in the ground, and the food, the the produce of the ground, will be rich and plentiful. On that day, your cattle will graze in open pastures. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, just the gift of being able to be in this room at this minute, at this time, to sit under your word together as your people. I thank you for the children that we just got uh, to hear singing, uh, for their uh, voices that remind us, Lord, of, of you as our creator. I pray, Father God, as we listen to this sermon, that you would help us to uh, not be rebellious children, uh, but to be uh, faith-filled children who look to you by faith, uh, who believe you uh, by grace. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the word Advent in the Latin means coming, and there are three meanings of coming that uh, Christians describe in Advent. The first and the most thought of uh, was what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came into the world as a baby to live as a man and to die for us. The second 
is this idea of coming, uh, which uh, has us anticipating his second return, him coming back not only as king, but as judge of the universe. And the third uh, is what we pray will happen today. Is Jesus coming more and more fully and intimately into our lives uh, through the mediation of his Holy Spirit, uh, which is a means of grace. And that's my prayer today, that as we go through the second week of Advent, that the, the Holy Spirit would allow Jesus, who is already uh, present in our lives and hearts, if we are believers, to come more fully into our experience so that we can experience him in a fresh way. Uh, we last week started a Advent series called Songs of Jesus, which, which focuses on the idea of coming. And we looked at longing. We looked at how Jesus meets our deepest longing. While longing deals with our hearts at a level of desire, uh, today we're going to deal with the theme of waiting. And waiting deals more with the practice of longing, uh, which is just the virtue of patience, which, by the way, is an element of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, since we're talking about waiting, I know that there's a danger and a temptation for each of us to kind of uh, just tune out the rest of this sermon because waiting is so easy, right? Uh, none of us in here struggle with waiting. It's easy for us to wait. When we're caught behind a train, it's not a big deal. We are patient. We can wait, right? When we're in a grocery store, we can wait. When our kids are doing the exact opposite for the hundredth time that day of what we want them to do, right? Um, it's easy. It's easy for us to wait. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to bore you by talking about waiting, but I do want to challenge you to tune in, um, even though you have it down pat because waiting is easy. None of us have struggled to wait for that test result to come back. None of us are waiting for broken relationships to be restored, right? Uh, no one in here is waiting or struggling for, to find their next employment. None of us are waiting uh, to find a place where we can call home. I mean, nobody in here is struggling to wait for a spouse, child, or friend to fo follow Jesus more faithfully. Waiting is easy, right? Of course not. Waiting is difficult. And this Advent season reminds us, though, that waiting, not only is it a fruit of the Spirit, but waiting, in essence, is a is a Christian virtue. This week's theme and passion uh, and passage will be highlighted by the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. The story of the hymn takes us to Charles Wesley, who is considered one of the greatest hymn writers of all time and said to have written close to 9,000 hymns in total. The hymn was birthed out of Charles's prayer and concern for the situation of orphans in 1744, and his intent was that people remember the significance of Advent in the midst of the Christmas season. And while most hymns from the Christ Christmas season tell part of the Christmas story, Wesley focused on this concept of waiting, and his heart was crying out to the Lord that the Lord would come into people's lives so that they can help solve this crisis of orphans. So come, thou long-expected Jesus, he writes, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release. Let us find our rest in thee. Today's text will teach us that Advent reminds us that when you feel like you're about to break, trust the Lord and wait. When you feel like you're about to break, 
Trust the Lord and wait. This morning, if you feel like you're about to break, trust the Lord and patiently wait. In Isaiah chapter 30, Israel is once again in a predicament as they find themselves in a political and social situation that's not favorable. Once again, they are under the threat of attack by a a powerful enemy uh, known as the Assyrians. And today I'm going to speak of Assyria uh, metaphorically, because just like Israel was in this passage, they were afraid of Assyria. We have Assyrians in our life that make us afraid. Even this Christmas season, there are some things that are are gnawing on our conscience or our heart that, that causes us to want to respond in fear. But we see that in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 14 through 15, uh, God gives his children, Judah, a, a word of affirmation. And he encourages them to not respond in fear. He reminds them that he is with them. And that all they needed to do was to trust and to wait on him. However, Israel became impatient with God's timing. And rather than seeking the face of the Lord... They made a covenant with Egypt for protection. And today you'll hear me referring to Egypt throughout the sermon. And metaphorically speaking, while Israel was really literally running to Egypt for protection, metaphorically speaking today, I want uh, you to hear me when I say Egypt to think about your past, to think about your comfort zone, to think about the place that you run to when you are afraid, when things are not going your way or you're tempted to run to. Because in today's passage in Isaiah chapter 30, we see that with the Assyrian threat that Judah, rather than run to God, who is their source of comfort, who has given them a word that says, you can trust me, they run to Egypt. To Egypt, the irony of that, the children of Judah, the children of Israel, God's very own people run to Egypt, Egypt. The place in which they were enslaved for 430 years, where they were forced to make brick without straw, Egypt. The place where Pharaoh ran them and their ancestors down. They run to Egypt for protection. But sadly, you and I know all too well that human nature often drives us back to comforts that ultimately harm us. Well, here in Isaiah... The Lord spoke a word to Israel. And we see in verse 3, he says that Pharaoh's protection will become their shame and humiliation. The place that they're running to for comfort, the place that they believe will will deliver them from Assyria will ultimately end up in their shame and humiliation. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 30, Isaiah writes this, speaking on the Lord's behalf. Because you have rejected this message and have trusted in oppression and deceit and have depended on them, this iniquity of yours will be like a crumbling gap, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come in an instant and suddenly. Isaiah speaking a hard word to the children of Israel. And look at how they respond a couple verses later. They say, no, 
We will escape on horses. We will ride on fast horses. They believed that by partnering with Egypt that they would have the best of horses and that they would be able to escape the threat. And not only the threat, but they will be able to escape what God has said is coming their way. And here's what's absolutely astonishing and where I want to camp out today is in verse 18. In the midst of their sin and stubbornness, God speaks this word. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him is happy. There's so much in that verse. I mean, in the midst of their Impatience, and impatience is a sin. Impatience is a sin. If, if patience is the fruit of the Spirit, if it's evidence of abiding in Christ and walking in a Spirit, impatience, Galatians chapter 5, is a fruit of walking in the flesh. And the reason why impatience is a sin, because at the end of the day, impatience is unbelief. Impatience is not believing that God is sovereign. Impatience is, believe, is, believing, uh, is, is not believing that he is good and ultimately working things for our good. But in the midst of our impatience, the Lord is merciful. The Lord does not treat us how we deserve. In the midst of our impatience, I love what he says, that there is, is, is rising up. The Lord is rising up to show you compassion. And how was the Lord rising up to show Judah compassion. He was rising up to show Judah compassion by allowing time to draw near for his Messiah to come. That every day that went by was a day closer to the birth of his son. In fact, we will read later on in this passage in verse 19 through uh, 23, this this messianic picture of, of the Messiah coming, of them ask, actually seeing their teacher face to face in the peace that his kingdom would bring. Lord is merciful. He's raising you up to show compassion. But look at this. At the same time, the Lord is just. Though God is merciful, though God is compassionate, God is out for our good. And being out for our good means that he will discipline us as his children. And so even though the Lord is compassionate and merciful, we see that Judah is going to go into exile for 70 years. Judah is going to go into a, a form of, of slavery once again and, and have their freedoms taken away from them as, as discipline because he loved them. And as we think about today and as we think about Advent, I want us today to hear the Lord say to you, all who wait for him, who wait patiently for him are happy. All who wait patiently for him are happy. Today there's perhaps some fears that's going on in your heart, some unbelief that's going on in your heart. Perhaps you're tired and you're waning in your faith and things are not going the way you want them to go. Reject Egypt. Turn to Jesus and hear these words, all who wait patiently on him is happy. All. Young, old, Asian, Latino, wealthy, not wealthy, all 
who wait. All who wait. All who wait. Not who run. All who wait. Not who hide. Not who self-medicate. All who wait. All who wait patiently. Not, not pouting. Not, not gossiping. Not manipulating. All who wait patiently on, on him. On him. On, on a person. Not a changed situation or circumstance shall be, shall, a promise, shall be happy, shall flourish, shall experience his joy, shall experience his peace. As a church, our vision is to raise up gritty disciple makers. And here's the truth. We will not raise up gritty disciple makers who fill up our city if we don't learn to wait. If we don't learn to wait, those who are lost and who don't know Jesus will look at our lives and say, you are just as anxious as me. You handle trials the same way as me. When things don't go your way, you, you, you respond in hopelessness just like me. And God's invitation for us as Sojourn Community Church is through the grace of God and by the power of his Holy Spirit is to allow God to do a deep work in our heart to mature us so that we can eagerly wait on him. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 24. Jeremiah speaks a powerful word in the midst of lament. He writes... The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. What does it look like for us to trust the Lord, to abide in him in such a way that when, when things aren't going our way, when trial comes, that we not only wait Waiting is active. We trust in him. We, we exercise the disciplines that he gave us to exercise like prayer and, and fasting and, and community and reading God's word. But we do it silently. Not grumbling and complaining. And so the question is, how do we cultivate that this Advent season? And I believe that the, one of the ways we do that is we take a step back and we start identifying what is keeping us from, from waiting on the Lord. We need to slow down and address uh, the shark that is in our heart, not simply the fin of the shark. <laughs> we need to slow down and do the, the deep work of heart work, just as Isaiah was inviting Judah to do as they were tempted to run to Egypt out of fear of Assyria, as they were tempted to go back into bondage, into the thing that, that kept them uh, captured. We need to do the deep work in our heart. And that for some of us, that means we need to deal with some childhood trauma. For some of us, that means we need to take down the to unpack some of the relational drama that we've been avoiding. 
For some of us, that means we need to slow down and listen to that, that little voice inside of us that Satan is using to keep us bound and to preach the gospel to that voice and to remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus. But for all of us, that means that we, we need to listen. What's keeping you going to Egypt What's keeping you from seeing and owning that Egypt is deceptive and destructive? Oftentimes when Assyria attacks us, when, when fears attack us, when shame attacks us, when guilt uh, attack, attacks us, we all have this place that we want to go to. For some of us, it's self-loathing. For others of us, it's pride that has shown up in isolation. For, 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 for many of us, it's, it's sins of the flesh like gluttony or, or lust. But all of us, we need to see that Egypt, that thing that we run to, will not satisfy us. It will only disappoint us. And we see this in today's text as, as Isaiah is, is writing them. He warns them that, that going back will not help them. Verse 12, therefore, the Holy One of Israel says, because you have rejected this message and have trusted in oppression and deceit and have depended on them, this iniquity of yours will be like a crumbling gap, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come instantly and suddenly. And that's what sin does. That's what self-sufficient living does. It disappoints. It binds us, it blinds us, and it grinds on us. It overpromises and underdelivers. While we wait, it's important to remember that Egypt does not love us, but that God does. What God is doing in our waiting, what he's doing in the in-between is conforming us into the image of his son. Charles Spurgeon wrote, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with whole hearts. For blessed are all as they wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith. It exercises patience. It trains submission and endures the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. The Lord's people has always been a waiting people. Sojourn, God wants to grow us up. And the, the way that we need to, to grow up is to find our, our footing on sure ground and to be reminded that we live in a fallen world. And that, that we, though we live in a fallen world, are being conformed in the midst of this fallen world to look more and more like Jesus. And the way in which God has designed for us to look more and more like Jesus is, is through suffering, just as Jesus suffered. And God's invitation for us is not to, to run away from suffering. And running away from suffering looks different for all of us. For some of us, that means in times of suffering, we abandon. Rather than to be faithful to God and other people, we, we run to Egypt and we seek uh, to, 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 to escape pain. For others of us, that means that we, we abuse. When things go wrong, we, we blame everything on someone else rather than rejecting passivity and accepting responsibility and waiting patiently. God's invitation for us is to be a waiting people. 
And the way we recognize that is by understanding that the scripture is full of people who love Jesus, who, who had bad things happen to them, and who had to wait. I mean, who, who should we call on to testify? Should we call on Joseph? I mean, look at Joseph's life, a man who is lauded in the scripture as, as one who is a, 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 a picture of faith. And look at all that Joseph had to go through. Shall we call on Abraham and Sarah who received the promise and who had to wait decades for their promised child? Shall we call on David who was anointed as God's king, who was seen as one who uh, was the apple of God's eye and yet after his anointing had to spend 10 years on the run in the wilderness, living in a cave? Who shall we call? Shall we call on Jeremiah who was God's prophet and who had the title of the weeping prophet? Who even though he was right smack dab in the middle of God's will was suffering and often felt lonely? I mean, who, who else can we call? Scripture is full of people who were in the will of God and who had to wait. Look at Mary and Joseph. Mary who would bear the very Messiah and yet would spend most of her, his early years both in, in utero and as a child on the run away from her homeland. God's invitation is for us to see is that right in the midst of our waiting, he is always speaking. He is always speaking. One of the lies we believe is that God is silent. God, listen to me. God is never silent. He may be quiet and whispering, but he's never completely silent. The scripture tells us three ways that God is always speaking. The first way that God is always speaking is through nature. Psalm 19 says that the earth declares the glory of God. The heavens is his handiwork. If you find yourself in a season of waiting, perhaps you just need to, to, to go outside and to look around you and to be reminded that, that every tree that you see has been created and sustained by God, that the sun, the moon, the stars, the ocean all speak of his glory. Jesus invited those who are on the Sermon on the Mount, those who he called blessed, to just look around and to consider the lilies of the field and to look up and to consider the birds and how he provides for the birds and how he dresses the lilies of the field. God is always speaking. And maybe he's not speaking to you in a way that you want him to speak to you, but we can be even more assured that he's speaking by picking up his word. And as we pick up his word, we'll read and we'll, we'll read verses like Psalm 130, verse 5. David wrote, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. If you want to hear the Lord speak to you audibly, just pick up your Bible and read it out loud. But not only does he speak through his word and through nature, God has most fervently spoken through his loving and gracious act by allowing his son to come into this world and to die the death that we all deserve because of our sinfulness. God allowed his very own son at that, that first coming, that first advent to be crushed 
to be bruised. And it's by his chastisement that we have peace with him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God, become the righteousness of God. And it's all in Christ Jesus. If one of my family members were in a medical crisis and needed a kidney, and I was a match for them, and I got on that surgical table and gave them my kidney, and after the surgery, a couple days later, they're, uh, uh, they're recovering and they're feeling better. And if I was to come into that hospital room and they were to throw a fit at me because I forgot something small at home that they asked me to bring, right? And then if they were to look at me and say, prove to me you love me, I would simply say, prove to you that I love you? You have my kidney. <laughs> you have a part of me. Why should I have to prove? How, how else can I prove to you that I love you? I allowed a, a knife to cut me. I allowed sleep to come upon me. I gave to you a, a part of me. And yet, as, 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 as human beings, there's a sense of us that's always looking for God to prove to him that he loves us. And how quickly we forget that he allowed his son to come for us. He allowed a knife to be taken to the very heart of him. He who was eternal and who was with him in an eternal Trinitarian dance became a man, lived a sinless life, and was crushed for our sake, though he was perfect. And he says, just wait on me. I've already proven to you once. If I did not spare my own son to you, what else will I not give you? God is speaking. God has spoken through nature. He speaks to us through his word. And ultimately, he speaks to us through what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross. So my invitation to you is the invitation that the psalmist gave us in Psalm 39 and 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait my hope is in you. And maybe that's why I become so irritated and impatient. And maybe that's why you become so irritated and impatient. Perhaps when we read the scriptures, we, we, we read it wrong. Perhaps when we read Psalm 39 and 7, we, we read the words correctly, but we apply it in the wrong way. Perhaps we're reading, and now, Lord, I wait for my job promotion. I wait for that child. I wait for that romantic relationship. I wait for better financial circumstances. I wait for this person to, to apologize and to say I'm sorry. Perhaps what we are waiting for is not the Lord. Perhaps what we're waiting for is a changed circumstance. But when the scriptures speak, the scripture does not speak for us to wait on a changed circumstances over and over throughout the scripture. And this week I looked at over 30 scriptures on waiting and just meditated them. And over and over, the scriptures tell us to wait on a person and that person is Jesus. To wait on him who is always present to manifest himself 
in a specific way that gives us peace so that while we're in the midst of our circumstances, whether or not our circumstances change, we can have a peace that passeth all understanding. Advent is a time for us to cultivate a heart that longs not for a change of circumstances, but that longs for Christ. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, all of creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's son to be revealed. Verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I love this. Paul is writing to the church in Romans chapter 8. He starts off by saying there is no condemnation in Christ. He ends the chapter by saying that there is no separation in Christ. And in between, he teaches us how to live. And how do we live? We live waiting with eagerness on the return of Christ. But I love how he acknowledges that we do so with a groan. Groaning while we wait is not a bad thing. It's human. Now, groaning is not grumbling. (laughs) Groaning is feeling the ache of living in a a fallen world. Groaning is feeling the ache of living in the in-between and the already and not yet. Groaning is understanding that we have bodies that are affected by the fall. We have emotions that that go wire. But groaning means that rather than run to Egypt in the midst of our pain, we are learning more and more to learn to God and to cry, Abba, Father. Colossians 5, 5, but by faith we eagerly wait through the Spirit, the hope of righteousness. We do this by faith. Philippians 3, 23 and 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, is that what you're waiting for this Advent? Hebrews 9.28. I'm just going to Bible dump you. I was so tempted this week to take 30 verses and just read them all and then just walk off. (laughs) Just walk off. The Bible speaks for itself. Just be like, I'm out. (laughs) So also Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who what? Say what? For those who eagerly wait for him. What does it look like for you to cultivate a heart that eagerly waits for Jesus? A heart that says that the greatest thing that could possibly happen to me in this life is not this fill-in-the-blank happening on this side of heaven, but a heart that says the greatest thing that can happen to me today, the greatest thing that can happen to me tomorrow, the greatest thing that can happen to me two, five, or ten years from now is the return of Jesus Christ. And I think the reason our hearts uh, don't long for the return of Jesus Christ is because we, we actually believe that some of us, if he returns, we will actually miss out on something. But heaven is more, not less. 
heaven is a place where finally we will be freed, not only from the presence of sin, but from the power of sin. Where we will live in this earth and, and experience the full glory of God where we have, we'll have relationships and jobs and, and, and food and we will be satisfied completely in him where all of our longings will be met, where every day will be hello and never goodbye. What your soul longs for is not more stuff. It's not a particular person. It's not a, a, a better job. The best thing that your soul can long for is the return of Jesus Christ. And this is what Advent is about. It is about us cultivating a heart that says, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And the only way, the only way that we can find that contentment is not in me making up my mind to go home and to wait better. I'm going to be more patient. I guarantee you that works well for like five minutes. <laughs> then you get in that long Kroger line. You're like, oh my goodness, it's Monday. Why are so many people here? <laughs> now, the way that you cultivate patience is by abiding in Christ. By staying connected to the true vine as he promises that you will bear much fruit. By coming before the Father and confessing your sin, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. By crying out to God and saying, God, make your son, Jesus Christ, more real to me. Help me to long for him so that my longings and my desires are shaped more and more by you and less and less by a consumeristic society. Lord, help me to be in all of you and not in all of myself. Help me to be underwhelmed with my circumstances and overwhelmed with your grace. And he promises to do so. This passage will not be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. In Titus chapter 2, listen to this. It's the grace of God that empowers us to live with patience. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace of God saves us, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Not only does the grace of God save, but the grace of God sanctifies. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good work. It is God's unmerited, undeserved favor that empowers us to wait patiently for, uh, for him. It's God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that sanctifies us. And it's God's grace that brings us closely home. And that's what the hymn is understood when he wrote and come thou long expected Jesus born thy people to deliver born a child and yet a king born to reign in us forever now thy gracious kingdom bring by thy own eternal spirit rule in all our hearts alone 
by thy all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. And so we wait and we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. And every week we take a meal together that reminds us of God's faithfulness. Isaiah 40, 28 to 38, it says, uh, to 31 says, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hear that again. They who wait on the Lord, not on changed circumstances, not on stuff, not on a fantasy. They who wait on the Lord. They who wait on the Lord, on the Lord to give them peace, on the Lord to renew them, shall, that's a promise, renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagle. How do they mount up with wings like eagle? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit giving them supernatural power. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And every Sunday we take a meal together that reminds us that we can trust God at his word. We break bread. Bread represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for you and me. We drink from a cup. We drink from wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread. We dip it in the wine or juice. Um, We have gluten-free, alcohol-free communion to my left. Uh, We also will have people in the back and in the front to serve communion. If you're a Christian, we want to invite you to take this meal and to take it with a longing for Christ's return. Take it remembering God's promises to give you supernatural strength to endure the trial or test or temptation that you're going through. To reject Egypt, to not allow Assyrian uh, to, to cause you to run away from God, but to run to him knowing that Jesus Christ is faithful. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.